With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at Filter, and neilhaley.com. Television, radio, that's always going to be the fun thing, unless I'm in studio guests. But again, we're putting out our whole episodes for the entire week of awesome broadcasting. So I'm just first excited to welcome the program, my co-host, Peter Elvich. Peter, we got to go to Hollywood celebrity now, right? We've done everything we, uh, in, this, in this process, from educators we have to fit everything in that's part of the Neil Haley show, right, Peter? Yeah, true that. So I'm looking forward to it. All right, so I do have my guest on the line. Uh, she is going to be in Rogue Warrior, Robot Fighter, Sony's Pictures. I'm excited to welcome the program, Tracy Birdsall. Tracy, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Tracy. Now, it's interesting looking at your bio. Uh, you did some acting, you did some modeling, then we're going to get right into the film. But some of the experience you've had have been quite interesting, haven't they, in your career in entertainment? You know, it, it's it's been a journey, that's for sure. <laughs> a, a journey, but I saw some of the 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 experiences you you've been on and and it's got to be exciting where it's going now right you kind of were doing some modeling and then some commercials and then did you get out of the acting business for a little bit and then came back explain that story a little bit to us well no actually you know you have to pay the bills and so when you're between jobs and stuff like that, you have to do that which you're you're asked to do. I mean, sometimes you do jobs because they're your passion and you get to create these deep characters and sometimes you do things because, you know, you have to put food on the table and, you know, there's there's gaps between things when you're you know, when when acting is your career. I've I've been doing it since I was in my teen years, um, was when I joined the union. But, you know, every actor out there, we all have our, our success points and we all have our lulls, you know. What would you say, Tracy, now where things are really going well for you? What did you do differently, you think, than is it just going and working and working and working and waiting for those opportunities to come? It's it's not there's no such thing as, as waiting. Um it actually has to do with, with training and experience and things like that. And and I've I've studied every method out there, right? I mean years of this and years of that. I, I worked with a with a coach named Mar- Margie Haber, you know, five, six years ago. And Margie was just kind of the, the turning point in my life where I started just really living my characters. And um, I've, I've literally been, been working ever since then. I haven't auditioned since then. I have projects sent to me. Um, it, it, it is more difficult. You know, it takes a toll on you. It's emotionally draining and physically draining and everything else. But it's so much fun and it's so exciting. So I think that 
anytime that, you know, people that are in our industry do have lulls, you need to stop and look at yourself and say, okay, what do I need to do? You need to constantly be training. You need to be constantly having life experiences and constantly yeah. studying people and characters. And, you know, I, I work... I, I think I work a hundred times more than most people in my industry. I just really, really, really develop my characters and and um, you know really really learn my lines long before I develop my characters, so that when the character's talking, it's 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 really the character that's talking. It's not me trying to remember anything. It just kind of comes naturally at that point. And so I think that's the difference. All right, let's talk about Rogue Warrior, Robot Fighter, and talk to us about talk to us about the film and your character. Sure. Um, it's a science fiction film, which is my favorite genre, and yeah. um, we actually have opening night tonight, and I'm in Los Angeles, and it's a science fiction film that depicts the, the you know, it's, it's in the distant future, it depicts the overthrow of humanity by artificial intelligence on multiple worlds, not just Earth, so there's a lot of traveling, there's a lot of, you know, and it's, it's really about finding that weapon that will, that will end the overtake of humanity, and um, it's a very physical movie, it's very, it's very action, but it's actually but it's also very character-driven science fiction, which we don't see a lot of. Um, so it's kind of a heavy drama set inside of self-discovery set inside of an action-based science fiction film. Interesting. Peter, question for Tracy. Yeah, I, well, I guess this is a little bit of a uh, – I used to be a movie reviewer here in the state of Minnesota, uh, and uh, I was the blind movie reviewer here so I, I've just been interested in all sorts of different movies, you know, not, even before that, uh, I've always been a movie person, but uh, this this is probably a little bit of that coming out in me, but I'm just generally curious from a viewer standpoint is I've kind of, you know, I've heard this, the kind of the premise of the story before, you know, like humanity gets taken over by AI. Like what is, like what are some things that are like basically taking the, taking the, the new movie and kind of breaking the mold, so to speak, of, pre- of previous pre- uh, predecessors to your movie. You know, in, in you know, to, to start off from a character standpoint, um, you know, because people are always like, oh, comparing you know my character to this you know act, action science fiction person and that one. Um, I, I try to create somebody new, somebody different, somebody that wasn't really based upon any of those other things. She's, you know, and um, so I think that's one of the things that initially sets it up differently is I didn't try to be like anybody else. I tried to make the character right. stand out on its own. And, you know, when, when we're dealing in a world right now where everybody walks with a cell phone in front of their face and, every, you know, we're, we're learning to trust AI. And the right. difference is this isn't, this isn't just robots. You know, it's actually artificial intelligence that permeates not just mankind, but even a, a, I'd call it a mutation of mankind and artificial intelligence. Yes. And so much of this film is practical. There's very little green screen in it. And that's so that you can get lost in that journey and lost in that world. And um, I think it's very different than anything out there. I think it's something that people will compare their films to just because it is because it is different. You really have awesome. to cool. continue to train yourself for the action scenes in the film. Is that correct, Tracy? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so it was it was actually brutal physical activity. Um and I didn't really anticipate it because you know I'm an actress, but I hadn't done action be film yes. action before. But um I was a tomboy growing up and I am a, a bit of a gym rat, so I I felt like I was prepared for it. And I'll tell you a silly mistake that I made, and that is I'm used to, you know, doing scenes over and over and over for the angles and the aerials and this, that, and the other thing. It never once occurred to me that I was going to have to run down those few hundred-foot sand dunes um, ten times in a row. 
It never occurred to me. Wow. I just thought, oh, coverage, da 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 da. I'm used to doing it in the you know in the talkie scenes and stuff like that, but that was brutal. You know, and it's like the injuries, like when you see the character get injured, I just brought my injuries to work with me. What are you going to do? You know, just my character is just a little more worn down in some days than others, and that's, you know, that's real. And, you know, there's, there's a, there, was, there was many, many days where there was bloodshed on this thing, and, it, and it's, you know, it just happens. And I was, like, like scenes like, um, you know, you're running down these mountains and you're having these brutal battles, and, you know, there was this one time when I got 15 feet down the hill, and I'm sponsored by New Rock, so I have these big, chunky boots with heels on. And I <laughs> fall down at this particular point, and I get down to the bottom, and the director's shaking his head. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you fell down, um, like, maybe, you know, 50 feet too soon. I'm like, I fell. <laughs> it's like I decided to just continue on with the scene because you can't exactly stop and walk back up. And, you know, but so those were the things I didn't take into consideration. But it pushed, it pushed me physically to an extreme that I wasn't used to being pushed to, and I have to say I enjoyed it. That's fantastic. And do you expect to do more sci-fi movies after this, especially with yeah, the feedback? Yeah, actually, we, did, a, we so did another one. From, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Yeah, we have the Time Wars in post right now, and that's actually Adolf Hitler traveling through time in order to rewrite history. Um, my character wow. had... Oh, yeah, it's really dark, actually. <laughs> um, but um, but I like that. You know, I, I again, I like drama in science fiction. I think that it's really interesting because mm-hmm. I grew up watching Star Trek and Star Wars and Logan's Run and all these other yes. things, and I love that genre. But to be able to bring deep storylines and develop deep characters in it, I just think that that's it's a fantastic place to play. And, Tracy, and I, I think you love the too. Oh, go, 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 Peter. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um. That's okay. I was just thinking is uh, I'm I'm always interested in like learning characters wise and and learning about the stories um, for the movie because you know it's it's humans versus AI how did how did you guys kind of designate uh, what I guess human reactions were uh, versus you know like what reactions the AI would have like I mean did the AI actively talk or was it more so kind of a mm-hmm. Uh, a visual, like what they do, kind of thing, says what they're, you know, what they are doing or action. If that makes any sense. <laughs> um, I, I think so. Um, you know, you don't always in film in this particular film you don't always designate or know artificial intelligence from the humans at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that I could do as an actress was even when I'm dealing opposite something that's, you know, not actually a physical being, as I make it as real to me as possible. Because if I'm not buying it, you're not buying it watching it. And so there's actually, I have a sidekick in the film that is um, actually a little round robot. You might have seen him in the poster in the trailers. And he's still sitting next to me in my office. But I brought him in here and put him on a stand for months before we started shooting. And I would, like, talk to him, and I'd make people greet him if they came in and out. And it was just one of those things where he had to be real to me, you know. And, yep. and he is real to me now when I look at him. And when I'm talking to him, I, I feel like he's real. And I think that's one of the things that really comes across in the film. You're definitely doing that for sure, Tracy. Best place we can find information on you. Good luck tonight with the premiere. And uh, I know it's going to be available uh, very soon. Uh June 6th at Walmart and stuff like that. But where can we find information on the film and yourself, Tracy? Where can we go? Okay, yeah, it's actually June 6th at Walmart exclusively for 60 days, and then it goes wide. I think you can pre-order it on Amazon for August. Um, you can go to TracyBirdsell.com. You can catch me on Twitter at TracyBirdsell1, um, Instagram TracyBirdsell1, and Facebook TracyBirdsellOfficial. 
Well, best of luck when your next film comes out. We'll keep talking and chatting about it. So thanks for taking the time today. Of course. Thanks for having me, and have a great day. Take care, Tracy. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, You're thanks. listening Bye. to The Neil Haley Show. Watch The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTitter, and neilhaley.com. And I'm first excited to welcome the program, my co-host, Peter Elvis. Peter, we got an, a really exciting guest for us today. So uh, are you looking forward to him? Oh, I definitely am. It's awesome for, for me here, and I'm ready to get to some awesome chatting. <laughs> All right. I, I love working with Triumph Books, so I'm excited to welcome the program author, Matt Cerrone, author of the New York Man, Mets Fans Bucket List. Matt, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. How are you doing? Fantastic, Matt. Let, let's kind of let's jump right into the, the whole process of thinking about the New York Mets. Uh, uh, I am a huge fan of a certain era of the Mets, and we'll talk about that era for sure in our in our in our conversation. But Matt, tell us your background and a little bit about who you are and why you wrote this book. So I grew up a Mets fan, uh, obviously, and uh, in Connecticut. I'm 41, so you know I, I came of age in the 80s and then suffered to the 90s and was in love with the late 90s Bobby Valentine, Mike Piazza era Mets. And when I moved out of market. In the early 2000s, I was down in D.C. I started a blog about the Mets. Uh, it was a hobby for a school project. I kept writing it when the class was over and because it was fun and I was enjoying it. It was a nice way to sort of stay connected to the news cycle. The site began to grow. People were reading. Blogs were somewhat new at the time. So I think, you know, it kind of caught on. As I started making a little money with the site, I approached their New, the, the, the team's newly launched television network um, to, you know, try to see if there was a partnership. I was struggling mm-hmm. with access. Um, they were struggling to build an audience online. We found a way to work together in time. They ultimately purchased the site, hired me to be their director of digital uh, wow. content. And, um, you know, I kept writing Mets blog and kept doing it. And it just kept growing. And so I kind of stumbled into this career of digital media and, building uh, content businesses uh, to connect with sports fans and stuff. And I, I had always along the way kind of punted or avoided writing a book because, you know, as a blogger, I write in sort of short bursts, very in the moment. And I never really get my hands or head around any particular project. But this one uh, came to me by way of a, a literary agent uh, who was terrific. And it's a series of books that Triumph has put out. So there's, you know, a beat writer that wrote a Yankees book, very similar, a Red Sox writer, wrote a Red Sox one. I'm not a beat writer. I'm a fan. And I write about the team like a fan. And I have press access and I go and, and I do all those things, but I'm still a fan. So I right. think they were a little concerned. They were nervous. They didn't know how it would work. But ultimately what the book became was this great opportunity for me to write about all these different fan experiences that fans should have or know or be aware of from a fan perspective, but then also add some information and some, you know, insider kind of stuff from the team as well. And so it was a great project to be part of. And so, and that that's awesome. And uh, Peter, you just chime in anytime you have a question for Matt, for sure. Uh, the one, the first thing I want to talk about, Matt, is my favorite time as a Met fan, or I guess the Mets I love, were the Doc Gooden days, the Daryl Strawberry days, the uh, that that character team, that uh, amazing Mets team. Was that one of your favorite teams of all time as a fan of the Mets? 
Well, obviously, I mean, how could you not? And it's funny how that team has has their their legendary status is has become something in sports, let alone among Mets fans. That is just you know it's iconic. Um, you know the partying and the books that have been written about that team and the stories that have come out have only you know enhanced. I think the memories that we have as Mets fans. I was ten, so I was young, but you know that was my introduction basically. So I thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, what a, what a great story and thrill rise. Vulnerable. And then the subsequent, you know, 15, 20 years or whatever would not be so wonderful. So right. it, was a, right. it, was actually, it was actually a great way to prepare for being a Mets fan, which is, hey, this is awesome. And now you're going to suffer for, uh, you know, a decade. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that year yeah. was just terrific. I mean, you know, the excitement and, and the miraculousness of it. You know, people forget they were dominant. And then we're the underdogs, like all within like a week of each other. And so, I mean, it was a wild ride. It was awesome. It was definitely you know, a wild I was, ride. I was just uh, wondering, you know, because being, being a fan of, you know, and then creating the book, uh, I was reading and I was checking out that there are like activities and things you can, you can do remotely if you can't, you know, actually be where the team is. Like what are some of those so you can kind of start getting involved if you maybe are a fan or maybe if you're not a fan and you're kind of looking to uh, get into this, get into being a fan. Well, yeah, I think that actually the 86 team is a great place to start because if you can get your hands on, I think if you search Vimeo, you can find it. I referenced in the book one of the bucket list items actually is the 1986 uh, Year to Remember yearbook, basically, video. And it's done in a way that, you know, at the time, Major League Baseball was sending cameras around to sort of document teams, and the Mets were one of them. And, and I go into the details of that in the book. The way it came together was very interesting. We take for granted that kind of stuff now, but back then, that was a big deal. And they, they put this video together that really did a, a wonderful job of capturing sort of the goofiness of the 80s, but the drama and the seriousness of the season and the fun that team was having. And what's great about it is that it's not about the off-field shenanigans. It's not about right. the partying and, and all that, because no one really knew yet about all those things that hadn't come out. So the story in that video is very much about on-field and the fans and the fun and the music and just everything 80s about it was terrific. And it's a great little introduction to, yeah. I think, you know, part of what the modern Mets fan is about, not the Tom Seaver 60s Mets, but, but but really sort of my age, yeah. 40, and you, you know, and it, it's just terrific. So if you can find that, to me, that has nothing to do with buying a ticket or going to a game. That's just finding it online and watching it. It's it's just high comedy entertainment drama. It's terrific. Yeah, and see, Matt, just all, all, Matt on the field, the Mets on the field uh, were just such an amazing team. When you talk about the era, and then oh, yeah. also the newest era of the Mets that almost won it all, right? So you have both the 80s and you have the current Mets from a couple of years ago that really shocked the world and brought back the Mets folklore, right? Yeah, it started to shift. You know, we came out of that decade and a half of the Yankees, two decades, I suppose. Uh, I blocked mm-hmm. some of it out. <laughs> <laughs> of them just dominating, <laughs> dominating really all of New York sports outside of a couple, you know, football giants moments. I mean, it was all Yankees all the time. And, you know, that started to fizzle and they started to rebuild. And at that same time, the Mets were finally coming out of this rebuild of their own. And these pitchers were kind of coming of age. And 
you know, they were finally starting to spend a little money after a few years of, of austerity and kind of getting their financial house in order. And it all just came together a little quicker than I think people expected, much fans included. They find themselves in the World Series, and then ultimately what happens is all of our collective expectations get raised. And the last couple of years have been a little, little frustrating. Um, you know, there's been a lot of injuries and a lot of things that, you know, you, you kind of always assume that there's this natural progression. You know, okay, we rebuild, we get to the World Series, we lose, all right, next year we'll win, then we'll become, you know, the next dynasty. Well, it doesn't always work that way, and I think we're seeing that now. And, you know, but that's all part of being a sports fan, too. So, yeah, the, the Mets are sort of back, you know, on the headlines and, and in the hearts of Mets fans, in the hearts of the city. Uh, if you could just get that world championship or get back into that, you know, that success circle, I think it'll really solidify it. Matt, where's the best place we can find information on you and also try and folks to find out about the book and stuff? Where can we go? Absolutely. Well, to find information on me, you can go to MatthewSerone.com. It's two R's on MatthewSerone.com. The book, you can do MatthewSerone.com slash Mets book, and that'll get you right to Amazon. And then for my Mets stuff, you know, MetsBlog.com. I mean, if you're looking for day-to-day news and reaction, what you should be thinking, a little bit of context of what's going on with the team, MetsBlog.com is without question the place to go. I mean, those are the three things. But MatthewSerone.com slash Mets book to get you to the – to the uh, Amazon page. All right, Matt. Thanks for calling. Take care and uh, best of luck. Absolutely. Thank you. Anytime. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program my co-host, Peter Albich, and we're recording a lot of simulcast TV, radio today. Can you believe it's almost summertime, Peter? Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's almost summertime, and I'm just I'm looking forward to it, and I'm also looking forward to this set of interviews today. It's going to be awesome. Yep, and, and as you, you know how this business works. We're just waiting on the first caller to call in, and sometimes they call in uh, a little uh, late on certain things. So I wanted to talk about something, Peter, that we uh, just for people to understand what's happening with you now, since the last time I interviewed you, you really uh, made some changes in your life. Give us an update on what's going on there. Yeah, so uh, there's been a lot of growth in the network, uh, the Perseverance Network. There's also been some new opportunities I'm going to be teaching here in the state of Minnesota in a little bit, uh, coming August, on uh, intro to blindness and visual impairment. So that's going to be something new. And, um uh, I'm also making uh, different sets of videos and content available on YouTube and online as well. Uh, so amongst those opportunities, there's also been um, some other work that I've been doing with the Minnesota Historical Society. And, uh, yeah, it's just been, there's just been tons of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and that's the, the, the really cool thing that what's happening with you, Peter, is, the teacher end of thing. When we met, you were an educator in a way that you liked to educate people, but now getting the opportunity to really step out of your comfort zone and teach many people, it's got to be exciting for you. Oh, definitely. Well, and the thing is, is I was, you know, at first, because everyone's been telling me, you'd be great as a teacher. And I'm just like, are you sure? Yeah, you'd be great <laughs> as a teacher. So I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> let's try it out. <laughs> exactly. So tell us what the cl- what class you'll be teaching uh, very soon. 
Yeah, so it'll be uh, intro to blindness and visual impairment. Basically, uh, I'm still in the creation and kind of like creating the uh, flow of the class, but basically the idea is um, kind of giving a, a kind of a, just a rush course of what it means to have blindness and visual impairment. Um, part of it being that it's connected to historical societies, making, uh, making and explaining like how things are accessible, uh, kind of like an example of, uh, kind of like a quick rough example of okay. uh, life as someone with blindness or visual impairment. So, oh, wow. um, and I have a fun, ex- I have a fun experiment, which I'm going to do with blindfolds. I'm going to have some volunteers and I'm going to blindfold them and give them uh. different scenarios to kind of try out. And <laughs> it's interesting. Exactly. And so, uh, I think it's very interesting in the fact that what you deal with every day. Uh, later today on the radio slash television network, we're going to have someone that is hearing impaired and learn about his business and what's happening with uh, innovations. But yourself going through what you have gone through from partially blind to almost completely blind now, uh, that's a hard transition for you, especially how visual a person you were. Yeah, it it definitely bites, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, it, in a weird way, it motivates you to be mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I still love what I want, what I do, and I'm going to figure out a way around this, and I'm going to figure out a way through it, and it, it, it's, it's really hard to explain kind of like outside of, the, of being in the situation, but that's just like the general idea is you, like, I love art so much, I'm still figuring different ways and creating actual programs to do my art completely non-visual. I'm still creating pixel art pieces that are small and, you know, progressing to larger sizes is my plan coming up. So you're still, you still can see some and you're learning through numbers and specific ways. I think our listeners out there don't understand once you hardly can see it's pretty much you have to learn code in your mind in certain ways to figure things out, especially when you're talking about the digital world, right? Yeah. Explain well, that to people. Yeah. So, yeah. So when when you have uh, low vision or that you or you're completely blind, you use these things called screen readers, and basically screen readers will allow you to manipulate and view different texts, different page, web pages, all these different things. In my aspect. For my art, uh, I've had previous experiences with color. I've had previous experiences with RVG code, which is why I'm still able to do the art that I do because I'm using art okay. RGB code as well as the designations of the colors to to do different things. But um, with screen readers, though, you can you know th- that's how I do all my stuff, whether it be on the mobile, on the phones, on the iPad, on a computer. Uh, it's just you know it, it's. It's really interesting. And then kind of branching out from there, there are different devices, you know, that will designate colors for you, designate money for you. And it's just, you know, (laughs) technology is growing to incredible heights. So, Peter, it's through touch? Is it through touch, uh, Peter? Yeah. Yeah, so primarily without technology, learning-wise is by touch, at least in my personal uh, realm of things. It goes from Mm -hmm. touch and then it goes to hearing. Um, because touch is kind of centerizing yourself in your world. Like mm-hmm, if you're just sitting mm-hmm. and you're not touching anything, you get disoriented. And the hearing part of it is, you know, also another way of kind of designating where you are in the world. Because obviously 
if you have low vision or you're completely blind, and this is even true for people who have had blindness ever since they were born, you get disoriented or you can feel lost at times without kind of having a benchmark as to where you are in the world, so to speak. So that's interesting to talk about voice. Uh, A lot of people think of, when they think of a blind person, they think about Braille, right? They think about everything that they have to do has to be involving touch. But you're saying now with the way technology has changed and that it's a lot to do with hearing as well, right? Yeah. Well, you see, because back then, like, we didn't have, you know, really advanced screen readers. There would be tons of things that would be unaccessible besides basic text files. And now that screen readers have enhanced so much, you know, we can have them on the mobile, we can have them on the desktop. Right. And it's really, it, it really depends on the person. But like I said, my, my realm, I like touch and then, and then hearing. Uh, but it's, it's kind of finding that, that balance right now. But it is changing, like when people think of blindness or visual impairment, they kind of think of Braille or they think of the white cane and they don't really necessarily know about, you know, screen readers or different technologies that are out there. And then when they learn about them or learn some, yeah. about someone who's doing impossible things, it's, you know, that's what I want to do is I want to educate people on those particular yes. technologies because it's, you know. So explain, <laughs> people are, yeah, I might yeah. not understand what, Peter, a screen reader is. Explain that to our listeners out there and viewers. Yeah, so... So think of it like this. So a screen reader is like if you have a text document in front of you, mm-hmm. let's say you have uh, like an essay that you're reading or writing, one of the two. A screen reader will basically analyze that text document, and you can either have it read to you uh, auditorially by paragraphs or by its, in, by its uh, in total encompassing text. Uh, there's also numerous different um, settings that with screen readers, because screen readers are also visual as well as auditory because they give also like color contrast features. Right. Uh, right. They give speed of the text rate that you that you hear it at or you read at. Um, also with screen readers, they will allow you to highlight words while you're reading. So if you're slightly visual and then you're hearing it auditory wise, you can do it that way as well. It's a lot of stuff for uh, people with dyslexia also use screen readers and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. different types of screen reading technologies. So, uh, yeah, and you can do this with like PDFs. You can do it with emails. You can do it with web pages. So, so Peter, for layman's terms, someone. So, for example, if you're reading an email, it's reading it for you. Then, correct? Yep. It's re- yeah, sorry. It's the, so basically, Screen Reader is a program that creates a computer-generated voice for you that reads whatever text you're looking at, whether it be an email or a text document. It'll read it to you, so then if you can't either physically read it with, uh, uh, you know, with paper, you can, you can use it that way to access your different types of uh, work-related tasks or different types of information. That's so cool. Uh, I I mean, I think it really helps. And this technology was not around 20 years ago, was it? No, and and that's why, you know, that's why, like, when people think of uh, blindness or visual impairment, they, you know, they think of Braille and they think of the white cane. Yes. And that's, 
you know, it's true um, with the evolution of things. You know, I mean, uh, not only from the standpoint of people consuming information with technology, it's also made people able to do incredible things like sports or, uh, um, absolutely. you know, be an artist. And it's, it's just crazy. And, and the thing is, too, if you guys are interested, with screen readers, they have these things called Braille displays. And Braille displays connect to your device via Bluetooth. Braille displays will wow. allow you to feel the Braille Mm -hmm. Uh, so that instead of using a screen reader, whatever text is on your screen, it gets translated into Braille into this device, and then you can touch it instead. So it really depends on your personal preference for uh, consuming information and learning. Well, I'm really glad I got to keep up, catch up with you. And it was, again, an impromptu interview, but I told you when you go live, you never know uh, what you're going (laughs) to do in, 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 in in a crazy day like this. And who knows what else, and that's why I have you along on this ride so that we can continue to give a simulcast broadcast via TV and radio. But, Peter, where's the best place we can find information on you, your social networks and all those different things? This is your opportunity to, to, to promote, promote, promote. So go ahead. Yeah, uh, so we have a Facebook page, Perseverance Network. We have a Twitter account is at Peter Elvidge Perseverance Network or PE Promotion. Our YouTube channel is Peter Elvidge or Perseverance Network. And uh, those are the primary places that are updated daily. So I, I encourage you guys to go check those out. And there are many other networks you guys can branch out from from those many networks. <laughs> awesome. It's amazing to see the growth of what you've been doing, Peter. I'm so glad you're teaching and you're educating people about blindness and visual impairment. It's a perfect theme for today. Uh, When guests don't show up, they miss out. And uh, I understand that because I've I've forgotten once for a guest or didn't record things out. How many interviews do you, how many people think I've interviewed Peter in my career? I'd say 5,000 plus or more. Uh, but it's a lot of fun, and it's fun learning, and I have more things to follow up with you and catch up with you if we have another no-show. But uh, take care, and I look forward to our next guest coming on soon. You're watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment and uh, some more and more exciting guests. Make sure you check out Peter and all of his uh, amazing things, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTitter, and NeilHaley.com, and I have my co-host, Peter Elvidge, on the line. And Peter definitely educated us so far in, in, in this process of uh, blindness and visual impairment. But for our listeners to understand that you have gone through some medical issues since the last time we chatted as well. Talk, some, talk about that for a second. Yeah, so uh, I have two conditions. One is called uh, glaucoma, which is, deals with eye pressure, and the other one is called cone and rod dystrophy, which uh, deals with the stem cells, uh, cones and rods that uh, take in your light and color reception into your eyes. And uh, unfortunately, there has been some uh, degeneration in the, in the cones and rod cells as well as some progression of glaucoma. So my vision has changed since we last talked, but it has not stopped me from doing <laughs> doing the things that I love and keeping as active as humanly possible. (laughs) And so, and this is what, explain the difference in your vision that you certain things you couldn't do anymore. 
And it was so abrupt. We're expecting it, but yet it happened. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, to give kind of a good idea uh, for those, kind of a visual difference. So uh, when we last talked, I, w I had the ability to uh, view different uh, text files or websites or things like that, uh, as well as different photos. If I would enlarge them to a certain point, it would be rather huge for me. So I'd say um, I think it was probably like 60 or so point font, and uh, I think like image sizes can vary depending on, but um, ever since the change, uh, I have not been able to read, I cannot read uh, print at all visually. Uh, I cannot see images visually at all. Basically the idea of oh how gosh. I see yeah. things currently is if like the best way that I can explain is if you took like a few Ziploc bags and you put mm. and you layered them and then you put them in front of your eyes, and you tried looking around and kind of understanding, you know, your text or your computer or whatever it is. That's kind of the generalized of how I see things. But also, um, I do not have color perception in any shape or form. I am grayscale colorblind, so everything that I perceive is black or white. Um, I did have this for a while uh, mm -hmm. at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the year. But uh, with the degeneration of the cones and rods, it kind of has changed. Uh, contrast. So when I'm in dark places, I can't see. When I'm in light places, it might be really bright. Uh, it's really an uh, interesting kind of thing with, <laughs> with all of the uh, different adjustments and genetics and things that I've been going through. <laughs> all right, my producer informed me that the guest was on the line and it just dropped, so we'll continue our conversation. They must have been confused to understand if we're on time, we show up on time for interviews. I mean, Peter, that's an absolute no-no. Uh, we have lined up, uh, and always we do the TV tapings here at Bethel Park, about 15 different guests, and you don't show up. I'm telling you, I, my email box it blows up with a 1,000 people. But back to the mm -hmm. conversation, it's very, very interesting. How did it make you feel? I mean, the Word Perseverance Network really defines what you're doing. I keep telling people, well, you have someone working for me. Well, he's blind and visual impairment. What are you talking about? He's, he's, he's going blind. And a lot of people couldn't imagine the things that you do for me every day. And they would think, oh, how can this person be able to do that? Because, again, they're not educated. But how have you persevered? You talked about this just abruptly happening to you. How are you persevering through it? Yeah, well, and, and like I said, to, to even remotely get to the mindset that I'm at, it took long time and long, long uh, just kind of looking at myself. You know, obviously I had my period of time where I was just, I was down. I was like, what am I going to yeah. do? You know, what am I going to do for a job, my future, all this different stuff? Because right when uh, it was about seven years ago when all this started, I was going to college. I was going for graphic design and arts, and all of a sudden, <laughs> everything just went to a halt. And um, you know, and I had I had a long uh, time where it was just you know, like I said, it was down. You know, I I kind of had to get through that, and of course, everybody you know does. But I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm going to experiment. I'm going to try to do some some art, you know, because I want to try to do it again. I still have a little bit of vision. Why not? And I basically took the longest 
days and nights looking at YouTube, looking online, oh gosh, and like that, yes. learning about what pixel art is. And because I figured out how to do them, because I figured out how to do my art again, I'm like, you know what? I got to keep going. This is, you know, yes. it, it was such a triumph getting my first piece done. And after that, it was progressive yes. things after that, like reading documents or, um, yes, you know, absolutely. and the good thing is, the good thing is, is that this transition was not as horrific as it could be because I do have mm-hmm. previous training experiences to build off of, but, um, yeah, it's, it's been a ride, but <laughs> I'm happy, you know, despite yeah, the yeah, hard absolutely. times, I've developed a great mindset. So, <laughs> so what? So, what advice would you have for somebody that it has uh, your disability? How can they persevere through this? The show, and then we'll explain some of the things that you do for me on a regular basis and other clients. Uh, explain to me how they're able to how other people can get through this uh, because, again, that this does not mean a death sentence. This does not mean even if you're born with this. It does not mean a death sentence. That You can be very productive in society, be very successful, and really transform people's lives. So tell us specifically enough the advice, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, the, the advice I would give to someone who's going through what I'm going through is, for one, you're going to have your bad days. And, and unfor- as unfortunate as it is, you, you're going to have to kind of go through those. But every, every bad day, for every bad day, there's at least two good days, okay? And, and the thing is, is that when, you, when your vision changes, it doesn't mean that you physically yourself have to change, okay? Right. Just because your exactly. vision changes doesn't mean that, you're, you know, that you can't still do things. I know incredible people that do, you know, I mean, People ask, how do you snowboard when you're totally blind? And yet they, like, there's tons of people who do it. Um, you know, how do you do art despite your blindness? Yes. Um, you know, and, and particularly in that aspect, for those who are artists who go blind, I would recommend you guys going and doing a touch tour at a local art museum mm-hmm. because that ultimately mm-hmm. changed things for me because it allowed me to kind of get a new perspective of that there's a lot out there that you can do non-visually. And, the thing is, is that, you know, you want to do, you want to do certain things. You want to, you want to achieve certain, mm-hmm. the only way you're going to be able to do that is to get up because the, yeah. you know, I mean, when you get knocked down, you got to keep, you you keep down and getting up. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep, well, you got to keep getting up because if you get knocked down, I mean, to get, you know, to, let's say to eat, right? I mean, to eat, you got to find the fridge. After you find the fridge, and you got to figure out what food you have, you know. It's always, even the little triumphs are important. So even if you think something is insignificant at times, you know, like, oh, I grabbed something to eat, that's a huge Mm -hmm. triumph because you figured out how to do something non-visually or with little vision, you know. Tell us on a regular basis what you do for me and other clients so that people can understand that they, too, can even if they have uh, are going through challenges, they can be very productive. Yeah, so I do I do a whole ton of stuff. I do I post on different multiple social media networks, both with images, text, hashtags, links, all these different things. Uh, I also make and create my own YouTube videos as well as videos for different clients. Uh, I do audio editing as well as uh, video manipulation if I need to. 
uh, for any changes visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do the, the changes for videos, just so you guys are well aware. I have special templates that I've created where I use measurements yeah. on a Photoshop grid mm-hmm. to do adjustments if I need to, not visually. Um, be, you know, including that, it's, you know, doing emails, you know, reading documents and information. Uh, it's, it's a whole ton of stuff. It's, exactly. And, and a lot yeah. of people, you know, you know, I understand that people like, you know, well, you know, how does he do it? You know, and the truth is, is you just do it. <laughs> you know, you just, you, you, when you get to a certain point, like I said, when I get to, when I got to a certain point in my mindset, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to learn how to do it. I might know how, not know how to do it at first, but I'm going to learn how to do it, you know, because it's important to me or it's something I want to learn to better myself, you know. And that's another thing is that I would recommend to everyone is to learn something new every day, whether it be yes. little, medium, big, it's important because exactly. you never know what you might learn could be your foot in the door somewhere. And that's that's such an never stop learning, and that's what's important about the Tools Education Network, Neil Haley Show, and all that is that we never stop learning. We always, uh, if you can't figure out something, go out and find it out and do it. Don't be afraid to make up that make that phone call. Don't be afraid to try something new. And with lots of things on the internet, you can figure out a lot of things very quickly that you could not do before. And I think that's the amazing thing is right now we're recording for television yet. We're streaming live on my website at neilhaley.com. And, uh, and then we already will have a radio show produced and a television show produced. And we'll be able to tweet out social media the heck out of it later today. And then when we're in the car, for example, oh, how would you have time to do five hours of TV or four or three and a half, whatever, I've lost track tonight, but meaning probably close to four. And then you have the meeting and then you have a tutoring session in your day's end. And how did you get your social media posted? Well, it's all scheduled. So I scheduled everything for the whole day and all my clients' stuff is yep. going out scheduled throughout the day. And uh, you, mm-hmm. you learn new things. You learn how you can take care of things and, and, and still be able to do many things that you enjoy. Again, we could check you out on the Perseverance Network, uh, all the different social media channels, right? Tell us the best places to yep. find you again, Peter. Yeah, it's uh, at Peter Elvidge is my primary uh, for Twitter, or there's uh, at uh, Perseverance Network or PE Promotions is the three Twitter networks. Uh, YouTube is Peter Elvidge or Perseverance Network. Facebook, we have a page called the Perseverance Network, and another important one is Instagram, uh, which is the Perseverance Network as well, and that is growing to incredible numbers as well. So I encourage you guys to go check out all those networks for great content. You're fabulous, Peter. And uh, a very, I think it really will relate to the, the episodes for this season. If I consider this a season on the Neil Haley Show on BPTV and also all over the world, is that we're going to learn about, we've learned about blindness and visual impairment. We're going to learn about hearing impaired. And our guests will have an interpreter on. So, and we'll be talking autism today. So, a lot of fabulous things. I think you fit into the theme far better than the guests that no showed me today. And I had never had two in a row, but I guess it's a it's a good thing because you have a larger following, and you'll get it out there, and you'll really educate people with this podcast and video for people to to learn True more that. about you. So, and, and so everything works out for a reason. So take care, Peter, and we'll talk soon. Hi, everyone. We're back to the Neil Hill Show with Peter Elvis. 
Peter, I tell you, it's just we have made it through this amazing thing. I want to thank PPTV for always these exciting uh, interviews and fun stuff, and we talked to a lot of interesting people today. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Peter, someone that you're going to really like talking with, Tony Quest. Tony, thanks for calling. You're an author and artist. Peter himself is an artist as well, Tony. I know oh, you've been listening well, we to some of the other common. interviews. Yeah, so you guys have something in common. Uh, so, Tony, tell us a little bit about your latest book, but also we can chat a little bit about your art in the short period of time we have with you today. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, my latest book is Actualize, A Life in Progress. And um, it was published in 2014 on Christmas Eve morning, I'll say. And I'm, I'm really proud of this book, and I'm really happy I actually got it done. It's a, a, life, it's a life story, like a memoir. Um, I think from the point of view of myself, um, the many angles as an artist, as a person, and also as a person that sort of reached an age that um, I guess it's one of those big numbers, you know? Absolutely. It was was written purely to to inspire, you know? Um, um, I guess if you read the book, you'll not find that why, but people have been clamoring to me to to write a book for a long time, and... um, Finally, I did it. I mean, I don't think there's anything real romantic about that part, but I do feel that I, it's candid. I feel it's very, um, sort of there's a nakedness about it that I felt compelled to um, present myself as as I wrote this book. I wonder, when, like, creating the book and then kind of having that artistic side as well, because this is something that I'm finding is that I write about my own experiences at times, and I right. find that there are just times that you can't describe something in a word format that you actually have to put into a, more so of a visual or artistic format. At any right. time when you're creating the book, did you ever run into that where you're like, you know, I'm not sure how to put this in here, so maybe I'll create something visual, uh, maybe mm-hmm. as a compensation. Uh, it's just something I've always done, at least when I, when I can't figure out how to say something, I would make a visual representation of how I feel instead. Yeah, I, yeah, and I feel the same way. I just have learned, I guess, over the years that not everyone can has the, the, I'll say, propensity to think abstractly. And um, I, I, I've sort of learned that most artists, I feel, at least for myself, much of my work is social commentary. And very often it's done from a point of view. And there's, even if it's representational, there's something abstract about its meaning. And... In writing a book, which is sort of like taking the same person, the same mind, the same experience, articulating it so maybe anyone can understand it and relate to it, if that makes uh, sense. Definitely. <laughs> it does. definitely. And and how do you want to educate people in, in, in art, do you think, Tony? What is the mission well, for you with the, for people to understand that are, you know, primarily visual artists? not as much mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the other types of artists, author, you're an author as well, but meaning author or filmmaker mm-hmm. or certain things. How do you want to, for, for that art genre? In terms of my painting? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, in terms of my painting, um, I've just learned that it's really about metaphors. And a course that I teach, self-actualizing portraiture, um, 
I could have a, a student or students that are really, really um, astute in terms of um, presenting something that's representational. could look like a photograph, but yet it doesn't really move you. And so I've taught how to find metaphors and inject them into the work. And so I, I think that as an artist, if you're working with an artist, they have an ability to think, I'd say, I hate to use this term, both sides of the brain, which most people think we're all right brain, but I think the purely genius artist, in my experience, has been one that can do that technical work and then also express the emotion. It's to bring the two things together that is a unique challenge for an artist. Yes, definitely. Agreed. Uh, I definitely agree with uh, that. And it's something that uh, they learn your passion, right? They're able to learn your passion from what you put out in art, right? Yes, I, I think so, yeah. You know, and, and you know, I enjoy instructing others. And, you know, I've worked in some challenging instructional situations, teaching art. <laughs> the biggest challenge has always been myself, you know, you know, not being professionally trained and all. For the writing, I'll say, um, somehow that, once I get started, that just flows. You know, which I find interesting in itself, too. You know, you can write in an abstract, abstract way to do poetry, you know. And um, then, again, you're definitely using metaphors. But um, I found that finding the metaphors in life, you know, um, and the metaphors in art is something, there's some divinity to that. You know, it's sort of like a validation of things unseen. Yeah. They, uh, something you might find interesting too, that because I was mm-hmm. I was taking a look and I, I I did see that you did you do self portraits. Something that you yeah. might find interesting is like currently I'm working on a piece of print uh, here in the state of Minnesota. I already did one oh. previously, but this one uh, I'm mm-hmm. doing completely non visually because of my disability of blindness. And uh-huh. what I'm doing to kind of designate the self portrait is I translate it into black and white for, for yeah. uh, getting an idea of what the person's face looks like and then mm-hmm. analyzing it with colors um, yeah. based upon that and then implementing my own aspects into it afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I just thought that would be mm-hmm. an interesting thing to know about, that there is, you know, some uh, artists mm-hmm. out there that are doing actual self-portraits non-visually that you might find interesting. I mm-hmm. will. I know I will. And also I'm wondering, are you able to discern light or nuances in life, even though you have a visual impairment? I, I, yeah, I'm really I, curious about that. I have uh, a very low vision acuity, but I can still distinguish black and white and, and uh, mm-hmm. lightness. But as to my art, it's purely non-visual using screen mm-hmm. readers, uh, RGB code, as well as um, uh, photo analyzers. I create my art now completely non-visually, and I'm actually getting up to the scale where I was, where... I'm making pieces that uh, I do pixel art, so I do pieces square by square, mm-hmm. pixel by pixel. And I used oh. to do pieces that are 20,000 pixels to almost 4 million pixels, and I'm getting back up wow. to that point where I'm creating these pieces again. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Wow, that's exciting. Pro- programs are being developed. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. amazing, uh, Tony, mm-hmm. to see his talent and how mm-hmm. he's able to still, even though he's more and more uh, going visually impaired and she's been going yeah. through the health issues of losing his vision and he's still mm-hmm. able 
uh, to be an artist, and uh, it's a tremendous story. It, it is. I would like to hear more about that story for sure, you know. Please send me, send me your, uh, an email because I'd really love to hear or something, a link, because I'd love to hear more of that story. Uh, seriously. Yeah, for sure. I was in, I was in, a, in, a, in a, a competition a few years ago. It might have been like eight, nine years ago, and it was for people with disabilities. And I was in it because of um, my diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. And I have visual impairment in one eye. And so I got to be in this, but the person who actually won the the jury exhibition did such an amazing piece. And that person, they say, was blind, you know. And I'm like, wow. And I look at this beautiful piece. That's why I asked you about the light. They were able to capture light in a piece that they did, which is a night scene. Very, it's just the most beautiful thing. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So that's why I asked you about the light. It's so fascinating oh, yeah. no how we compensate. Yeah, no really. Um, so, Tony, what's new with awesome. you? Uh, updates on your books? Are you uh, doing book signings in certain areas? What's new with the book? Well, the book is, is really um, sort of taking a life of its own. I have um, done a couple of book signings. I've been one in Augusta, Georgia. Um, I think that was I think it was in April, which was really exciting. And um, I. I will be doing another book signing here in Peaksville shortly. Um, I'll be doing a book signing tomorrow because it's open studios in, in Peaksville, New York, tomorrow for tomorrow and Sunday. So I'll be doing a book signing at my own studio. So wow. um, as well as selling some art and, and lots of jewelry. Lots of jewelry. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, so jewelry, another thing that you love, Tony? Well, jewelry design is something that found me um, a few years ago, I think like seven years ago. And um, it seems that people are asking for a lot of my jewelry designs, which is a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. But what I've done is decided to make it special because I think it's, there's a big market for people to be jewelers um, these days for artists to make money in this. Um, I've sort of made mine um, sort of specialized in a way just to be a little more unique to to capture a certain type of a market. I try to put symbolism in the jewelry that I do as well. I use symbols and, and things, you know. Um, just stop by. Check out my website for that, streamingwomen.com. Yep. Again, mm-hmm. tell our listeners about the website again. A screaminglomen.com. Although I don't like to raise my voice, but that is my, <laughs> the, the t- title of my website. <laughs> That that's that's you yeah. being a screaming woman in your art, not with your speaking, but through your art. Uh, so, Tony, thanks for calling and take care. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I had a good time, and I want to talk more. Thanks, thanks right. again. Have a really good day. Take care, Tony. See ya. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.